I hope you've got a sense of God's presence with us this morning. Um, He's always with us, but I hope you sense it this morning uh, and sense that God is for us. Uh, Christ died for you as an individual. God's love is reaching out to you to draw you to himself. What a great thing that is. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Wow. All right. Um, For those who are visiting with us this morning, uh, my name's David. I'm uh, part of the pastoral team here. I mostly look after the Rosebud congregation, but from time to time, I get to join in with you guys up here, which is fabulous. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks, Matt. (laughs) Um, And uh, if you're just coming back, if you've been away for a while or if you're joining us for the first time uh, here in the service or online, um, we're finishing up our series in Timothy, not this week, next week, but we're getting towards the end, and we're looking at 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 to 16 today. Um, And it flows on, it's all part of this same little passage uh, that starts at verse 6, or it goes back a little bit, verse 5 really, Um, and where Paul says, but godliness and contentment is great gain, these two things together, uh, as opposed to pursuing finances, pursuing riches, um, these two things are of great gain. And last week Paul was talking about contentment, and today I want to pick up on the next part of this, which is from verse 11, uh, where Paul is talking about godliness and accessing godliness and pursuing that. But before we get into it, um, I just oh, tapped the picture on the page here, not on my screen. All right. Um, I just want to ask you, you ever done that when you're sitting at the computer at home and you tap the screen, but it's actually one that needs a mouse? No? All right. Um, I'll ask you that question. Uh, have you ever felt the pressure to fit in, to be like everybody else around you? to agree with all the opinions and all the things people around you are saying, uh, to do the things that they do uh, and to kind of have that sense of belonging and being part of that group. Have you ever felt the pressure of that? It's kind of always there. I was just watching a a film or a series. I don't know what it was. I only saw one part of it anyway. Um, I was watching it with my wife and there was this little scene in it and I said, that's exactly it. And there was this wealthy woman and this other lady, um, and she went up to her in this scene and said, oh my, that's a lovely dress, it must be a favourite. Um, she says, you can tell by how well worn it is. <laughs> and then kind of walked off. And you could tell that the, the, the subtle pressure was, if you're going to hang out with us, you're going to have to spend money on new clothes and fancy clothes, because that's who we are. And the pressure to be part of our group is to actually pursue these things. And you kind of get this sense. So have you ever felt that pressure from the people around you to fit in or be like them, to think the things they think, to say the things they say? Because if you kind of know that and you feel that and you've had that sense of pressure, then you get what's actually going on underneath the surface here and why Paul is so urgent about what he's saying in this whole thing about pursuing contentment and godliness. Because if you remember, and of course you do, um, the church in its initial stages was under enormous pressure, enormous pressure to give up on Jesus and either go back to Judaism or to give up on Jesus and continue to follow the way of the Greeks and the Romans and the the mystery religions uh, and the Gentiles. And not only under social pressure where they were losing, their families were kicking them out, they were losing their houses and homes and inheritances, but they were under physical violence, the threat of physical violence uh, from time to time. And then there were some widespread persecutions a bit later on. But in this time where Paul's talking to Timothy, there is enormous pressure on Timothy in Ephesus to give up following the way and following Jesus uh, and uh, to go back to worshipping Artemis and Diana. 
And so you've got this whole thing going on that's in the background um, that what Paul is trying to say to get Timothy to actually pursue righteousness and godliness and the early church. So let's have a look at what Paul is saying here in regards to this. So verse 11, we get this where it says, But you, man of God, and that's meant for everyone, even though he's talking to specifically that Timothy in the letter, but you, people of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Hold on to the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, whom gives life to everything, and of Jesus Christ, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Which just fantastic little kind of group of sayings and words here from Paul. Um, it was a great privilege for me to actually spend some time looking into this. Uh, and so there was, there's you know, about four or five sermons in this. So I'm going to try and keep to just the main points uh, in what's going on here, all right? Um, so what Paul is doing, if we're following the flow of this, all right? So there's this, been this thing that what's going on in Ephesus is there are these false teachings and doctrines saying that um, pursuing wealth, pursuing kind of material things is the way to go. That's what you want to do in this world. And then some even think that by pursuing godliness, they're going to get rich as well in this whole thing. And Paul is saying, forget all that. Godliness and contentment together are the thing that will give you great gain. And so he's saying that. And so last week we talked about contentment. This week we're talking about pursuing righteousness. And so he says here in verse 11, But you, O people of God, man of God, flee from all this. Flee from pursuing these things. All right, this is fascinating within itself. All right, in the Scriptures, most of the time when it says something we, uh, that is anti-God or against God, it just simply says stand and resist. You know? um, resist the devil and he will flee. No temptation has overcome you which is not common to man. God will always provide you a way out under it. But then there is a couple of occasions where it says flee. And sexual immorality, sexual immorality is one of those. And this is another one. There is something about us as human beings. There's something about the internal pressure um, combined with the external pressure of these things where Paul is saying flee from it. Get away from it. You've got to actively resist it. It's not just something you can ignore or just say no to. It's something you actually actively have to resist to not get caught up with and swept along with. And, you know, I could tell you story after story after story of people who have actually not done that and who have ended up getting swept along and their lives has actually become um, full of grief, as Paul tells us from verse 5, the bit we didn't read today. Um, That's why you should have a Bible here, so you can go back and have a look at these things um, that I'm mentioning. All right. So this whole thing, 
And then instead of, uh, sorry, instead of getting caught up with that, flee from that and pursue righteousness. And that's the kind of antidote here. It's pursuing something. It's actually having a direction that you're heading in so that you can't get swept up by these other things because you've already got something in mind. All right? And these things are great gain. Now, I don't think, I don't, I've never really stopped long enough to think about that and, until I kind of looked at this passage. Now, just stop for a moment with me and think about why is Paul saying these things are of great gain? And it's, it's the wonder and the beauty of the Christian faith. It's not just some religion. It's not just some set of rules. It actually is the thing that transforms lives and produces the things that people are looking for because God made us to be who we are and he knows the best way for us to live. And so we get this. And just stop for a minute and think about it. Now, if we think about the contentment piece for a moment, have you ever felt contented? You can give me a nod or something. Just looking out there, I'm thinking, gee, nobody here ever. <laughs> the sense, have you ever felt contented? You know, if you think that you're warm and you're dry and you're well fed and you feel comfortable, the world's okay, I'm okay. And that sense of, oh, it actually gives you a physical, visceral reaction. The kind of sense of peace and rest. Isn't that a great feeling? Isn't that a great space to live in, that place? That's why it's great gain. Because what's the opposite of that? When you're pursuing something that's out of your reach. When you're trying to get something that you haven't got. And the feeling and the body response to that is ugh, ugh, stress, anxiety. This kind of pressure, adrenaline in the body. And it's the complete opposite. So why is contentment great gain? Because that's the thing you're looking for. For goodness sake. People chasing after riches and finances. What are they actually looking for in the end? Peace, contentment, and they never get it because it's always outside their reach. It will always be outside your reach because it's never enough. There's always more. And, you know, I could tell you, you could tell me story after story of people who have pursued these things and are still unhappy. Yeah? And so Paul is saying this is great gain, contentment and godliness. And again, if you stop and think about this, why is godliness such great gain? Don't worry about the kind of Christian spiritual side of it for a minute. Just the earthly, physical, bodily response to it. You think about it for a minute. If you're in a community of people that are pursuing righteousness, godliness, gentleness, endurance, patience, love, hope, faith, what does that feel like to be in that community? (sighs) I'm safe. People will look after my best interests. I don't have to fight. I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to be always worried. Oh, what's the angle? Because people are actually for me. It's great gain. That's why Paul is telling Timothy to pursue righteousness. Don't follow these other things. They don't deliver what they promise. Pursue godliness and pursue righteousness. Then you will gain great things. And not just in the physical sense, but in our eternal sense. And I want to have a look at a little bit of that. So what do we need to do? The first thing is we need to make it a goal of our lives. Right? If you don't make it a goal of your life to pursue righteousness and pursue contentment, you will just get swept along. There's too much pressure, external pressure, too much internal pressure going on. In the world that we live in today, if you don't have a goal of this, you'll just get swept along with it. 
to be like Christ and to pursue godliness. Now, I can tell you lots and lots of stories of people who have done this and it makes a huge difference to their lives. Now, I was on a committee uh, years and years ago, maybe even two decades ago now, um, and that was a, it was a national committee. Uh, it was part of Lausanne, Emerging, Leading, Emerging Leaders in Evangelism. That was an international movement, and there was an Australian version. I was on, I was on that committee as the Queensland representative. Um, now, we had this lady who was an amazingly down-to-earth, godly lady who was part of that committee, and she was kind of the sponsor and patron of this group. Now, she was from a very, very wealthy family in Australia, well-known wealthy family. Um, they had properties all over Australia, and we were fortunate enough on that committee to get to go to those properties to have our meetings, which was lovely, um, to be in these beautiful places. Uh, and one of them was on the um, Sydney Harbour, and like on the harbour, the backyard was down into the water. Beautiful, beautiful place. Multi tens of millions of dollar property, right? And so we're sitting there and we've had a break for lunch and we're sitting out on the back deck and, and you can see across to Luna Park and you can see the Harbour Bridge up the, up the bay a little bit, up the harbour a bit. Uh, and there's one of these boats going past, right? One of these uh, tourism, you know, Sydney Harbour tour things going past. And these people in this boat look up and they think, oh, that must be the rich and famous up there. And they start waving, you know. And so we're up on this deck and we're looking down going, oh, yes, hello. You know? Um, and one of the group, and some of you know Carl Face, he was on this committee as well, some from um, Olive Tree Media. So he was here, and he said to Glenda, the lady who owned the property, or her family, and said, Glenda, how do you not get affected by this? He, he said, Carl said, you are the most down-to-earth, godly, wise woman I know, and how are you not affected by all this? Because she's living in it all the time. And she said this, and it has stuck with me ever since. She said, Carl, I've got these two goals. And we all leaned in, you know, because we want to hear the answer to this as well. We all leaned in. She said, I've had two goals in my life, or overarching goals, ever since I was a little girl. And they're these. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul, and to love others as yourself. And that was my two overarching goals of life. She said, I always ask that question. What am I doing with my life that is loving God? With all I have, what am I doing that's loving God? And she was an amazingly uh, generous lady and sponsored all sorts of Christian endeavours around Australia uh, and internationally. And so she was living this out, but that was her goal. That's how she didn't get swept along with it, even though she was right in the middle of it. And Paul mentioned that last week. It's not the money. It's not the possessions that the problem is. It's our hearts. It's where we place our treasure. That's where the problem is, where we think that those things are going to give us something. When in actual fact, God is saying, come to me. That's great gain. And so that's her two goals in life. And I, amazing lady to be living in that. And can I encourage you with that? Now, maybe that's too hard for you. Maybe two goals are too hard. Maybe you're like me, you need it even more simple. This is the one I use. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's just one. It's easy to remember. Every time you have to make a decision about something, every time something's presented in front of you, ask that question, what's the best thing for the kingdom of God in this? How can I best make a contribution to the kingdom of God? How can I best honour God with what I'm doing in my life? And if you can do those things, that is a way to make a goal of righteousness in your life, of godliness, of being patient. Now, you could pick one of those. If all of that sounds too big and too out there for you, just pick one. Just say, I want to be a more kind person. Make that a goal of your life. Not, I want to have a better car. Make it, I want to be a kinder, more compassionate person. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be like him when he actually treats people with respect and kindness and gentleness 
and just make that a goal to be a little bit better at the end of the year. You only have to get a little bit better each year, right? You just have to get a little bit better each year and you are on that journey towards being a more godly, more righteous, more gentle, more patient person. So make it a goal and head in that direction. So that's the first thing that Paul is telling Timothy here and the rest of us as well. Let's leave the other stuff behind. Let's, not, let's flee from that and pursue God, pursue righteousness, because that is great gain. And then he says another couple of things as well about how do we pursue righteousness. Let's have a look at these. This is fascinating. So the next part of it is in verse 12 where it says, Fight the good fight of the faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you are called. Now this is great because it's actually saying something else here. Not only do we resist or flee from these things and pursue righteousness, but we need to stand up for the way. We need to stand up for the faith. Because when you do that, you actually start to speak it out into the world and counteract all the the things going on around you in terms of people wanting to leave God behind. Now, this is in the present continuous tense. This fight the faith of the faith. Fight the good faith. Good the faith. Fight the good fight of the faith. Right? This is an ongoing thing. It never finishes. It's always going to be there. There's always going to be someone who wants to oppose the gospel or wants to oppose God, wants to oppose orthodoxy when it comes to faith. It will always be there. Just stop for a minute and think about this. What happens in the garden in the first five minutes of creation? Well, maybe not five minutes. The same thing. Someone wants to oppose God and oppose God's way. And the serpent goes to the, uh, Eve and says, surely God didn't say you would die. Oh, no. He just doesn't want you to have what he's got. He doesn't want you to know what's good and evil. And it's another, op- uh, another way. It's always been there. There will always be people. And so let's stand up and fight the good fight. That might mean you stand out. We got that picture going <laughs> It might mean you draw a little bit of attention to yourself. All right? But if we're going to pursue righteousness, we need to stand up for it. Because a couple of things happen when you do that. One is you keep reaffirming what you know to be true, and it stands up, it stacks up. When you start to actually think it through and process it against what other people are saying to you, it actually stacks up. I've been a Christian now for uh, nearly 40 years. And I've spent a lot of time delving into the, the criticism of Christianity and why it's wrong and why nobody should follow it. And you know what? I've been doing that a long time. And you know what? I'm more convinced than ever now that Christianity is the way to go because it stacks up. Every time you go back and reflect on it and look at it against the arguments, they don't play out, but the faith does. God and his way plays out. And so we need to keep standing up for it because it actually will keep reminding you that you are on the right track. You are heading in the right direction. You have great gain. And also, at the same time, you're actually then giving others opportunity to hear it. You're giving others opportunity to actually have what you have and hear about Jesus. That is great gain to them. And the second thing that Paul says here is you've got to do, fight the good fight, but take hold of the eternal life. Remember what we are actually given. This is why this is great gain. It's not just, like I was saying before, the earthly body response. That's the here and now. In actual fact, again, this take hold is like right now. Take hold of the eternal life. It starts right now. It's yours. Just take hold of it. Christ has died for you. Take hold of this eternal life. 
It is of great gain to you. And it begins today. It's not some far off thing. It is right now. Take hold of it and remind yourself of what you've gained. Remind yourself that this is an eternal life. It's not just a material world. Remind yourself again that you have been given eternal life. This is of great gain to you. Godliness is of great gain to you and contentment. Because you will actually have the better life here and you'll be able to enter the eternal life with Christ when he returns, which Paul mentions in this passage as well. So let me say something about that, actually, because this is one of those things that's hard for us living in contemporary 23rd, was it, the 21st century um, with the overarching uh, dominant culture being secular and materialist. So that sense of everything is really just the here and now. Anything else is just some sort of psychological trick. You know, this whole thing of that, oh, yeah, that's what Christians say because they're trying to trick people into following them and getting some reward later on. But really, there's only the here and now. Now, they don't argue that because they've got evidence against God. They argue that because they are completely convinced that there isn't anything else. Not because they've got evidence that God doesn't exist, but because they can't see anything other than the here and now. And that's because they're so deeply affected by the secular worldview that's going on around us now. And so don't let that convince you that there isn't a heaven and there isn't an eternal life. There is. They are true realities. I could tell you how my life has been completely transformed by the reality of Christ. Lots and lots of people could tell that story. Billions of people, tens of billions of people over the last 2,000 years could tell you those stories. There is a reality here. God is real. And there is an eternal life. And then we finish with this last thing. Let's hang on to that. So firstly, let's flee unrighteousness and pursue righteousness. Let's fight the good fight of the faith and actually stand up for what we believe because we know it's true. Let's hang on to this eternal life that we've been promised in this. And then this last bit, which is absolutely brilliant. So the last bit there where it says, until, this is from verse 14, where it says, until... The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will return. He is coming. And then Paul gives us an explanation. Which God will bring about in his own time. And then this last bit. This is actually brilliant. Look at this. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, and whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Now that is brilliant. Because what Paul's actually done here in this last little section is he's reminded Timothy and the church and us who it is we follow. He is the only ruler. There is no other. There is no Caesar that rules over the people of God who can tell them what to do. There is no God, Artemis and Diana in Ephesus, who can overrule the church and then punish them. They're only answerable to the King of kings and Lord of lords. He alone is immortal. There isn't a God in the Greek and Roman pantheon who is going to crush Yahweh, who is going to crush Jesus. It doesn't exist. He is above all those things. He lives in unapproachable light. There is nothing like him. He is unequal. Do you get that? Do you hold that in your heart? 
That's the God we follow. That's the one we're answerable to. All these people who want to kind of tell you how to live your life, want to tell you you're wrong, they're not the ones you're answerable to. Fear God, not man. He's the one who has our eternal destiny in his hands. And I love this. This I'm reminded of this often. This passage from Colossians where it gives us a tiny tiny description of Jesus. That he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is matchless, peerless. There is no one like him. At the moment... God says it's time, Christ will return, and this world will all be closed up, and there will be the new heaven and the new earth, and we'll all have to give an account of our lives to Christ. Yeah? That's who we follow. That's why it's great gain. There isn't anyone else you can turn to. There isn't an intergalactical court that you can go to to appeal to say, no, I think God was wrong. I've got it right. There isn't that. There is only the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, the only ruler of the universe, and that's Christ, God. All right, so let me pull it together and finish up here. Well, what are we trying to say? All right, godliness and gain, godliness and contentment are a great gain. Pursue them. You are the beneficiary of those. Pursue them with all you've got. Give everything you have to doing this. And fight the good fight. Stand up for the faith. If you don't know how to, start talking to people about how do I answer these questions. Start reading up on it. Find a way so that you can have a voice when people are attacking the faith. And you can say even the smallest of things, which is something like, you know, I've got a different opinion to that. When I kind of look into the Bible and I think about what Jesus says, this is my opinion. You don't have to be aggressive or aggro or arrogant. Just simply say, hey, I've got a different opinion. This is what I think. And actually put it out there to fight the good fight of the faith. And then the last thing is remember who we follow, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's him who we have to all give our final account to in our lives. Godliness and contentment are of great gain. Pursue them. Make them a life goal. Yeah? Yeah, I see some nodding heads. I want to encourage you with that. If you're here this morning too, and and maybe you've never given yourself to Christ, you've never said, you know, yes, I'm going to pursue Christ, can I encourage you this morning? He's the one that you're going to have to account for. He's the one you're going to have to give an account of your life to. So if that's you this morning, you've never done that, I want to encourage you, please come forward, come and see me, come and talk to me, or come and join the prayer team over here uh, this morning. Or if you came with a friend uh, who has faith, then talk to them about it. But don't go away without exploring that this morning and pursuing it. Yeah. Let me pray. Father, I thank you again for this passage from um, Paul to Timothy and then for us today. Father, help us to take hold of it, that it sinks deep into our souls to pursue godliness and contentment because that's what you want for us. That's where we will find the blessing you're offering us in those things. Help us not to be distracted, not to be pressured, but to just seek you. And all these things will actually be put in place. 
And we thank you for that this morning. And we pray for your spirit to well up inside us to give us the courage and the determination we need to pursue you in these things. Amen. Amen.